Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. Hey, if you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. And welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodderand, and Mr. Consistent Jake Watroba is joining me on this week's edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. We discuss MLS playoffs and U.S. men's national team. Armand Kafai calls in to talk about FC Dallas's managerial search as Oscar Pereira is set to make a move south of the border to Club Tijuana. Antoine Latrin, U.S. soccer writer in French for Loca Opposé and host of Culture Soccer, helps us break down MLS playoffs and the latest news in the league. Lastly, Doug McIntyre, reporter, U.S. men's national team insider for Yahoo Sports, calls in to talk everything U.S. men's national team. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating because we are your premier soccer podcast in this great country. Give us a follow on the Graham at Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast on the Twitter machine at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. We love your feedback, comments, so continue to send them in. And don't forget, you can find the show on any major podcast platform. Let's get to today's show. How are we doing, Jake? We're doing great. We're doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. It's been a, a really weird week regarding soccer because there's not much going on apart from I guess the national teams obviously but no MLS playoffs nothing there's really just if you're following your team your country you know good for you other than that it's been a boring week yeah not not very many interesting storylines uh to be following yeah, that's this true. week, but uh we you know we 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 here at Uncle Sam Soccer podcast we do our best to to dig up some things, try to talk about some things that others might not be talking about. So I, I think we have a good we have a good show planned today with the uh, lack of storylines going on uh, in U.S. soccer right now. Jake, I'm really excited for our first guest. He's been on the show a couple of times before. It is the one and only Armand Kafai. He covers FC Dallas down in Dallas, Texas. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at Armand Kafai. Just kidding. What's up, Armand? Skipping out on the show again this week, huh? Yeah, I'm in Austin this weekend. There's no MLS playoffs, international break. 
schools out, you know, I had to hit one of my favorite season uh, in Texas and, you know, I guess support Austin FC, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, nice big, place, yeah, big news dropped over the weekend and uh, you called me out of the blue going like, do you see the news? I was like, what, what, what news? Oscar Pereira is headed to club Tijuana. And uh, yeah, what are your initial rea- uh, thoughts on this? Um, it's kind of weird. I'm not surprised. Um, you know, maybe a lot of people, maybe the team, I think, surprised me. I think Cholos, like, was a little unexpected, especially, you know, uh, going to Liga MX. I mean, there was talk that, hey, Oscar would only leave FC Dallas, his quote-unquote dream job. Uh, you know, he only would leave for a U.S. Men's national team or Colombia or a team back in Colombia. But, I mean, I, I feel like it was a combination of things. I mean, he, he stayed here for, what, five years now. He's built an organization. I think he thinks he's fulfilled everything. So why not try something new in Liga MX and, you know, build a team up in Cholos? Armand, why – I mean, I think you kind of just answered this, but why Why would Pereja leave now? I mean, I think it was a combination of things. I think, first off, he wants a new challenge, I think. Uh Sure, he's killed MLS, has won MLS Cup. But I think at some point he's like, hey, man, like, a coach wants to advance, like a player. I mean, Oscar mentioned it in his interviews. He always wants a player to advance. A player wants to go to Europe, he wants them to do that so they can advance in their career. It's no different for a coach. A coach wants to do that as well. But I think also part of it, I wouldn't be surprised if part of it was, hey, I'm a little frustrated, you know, how much we're spending. You know, like, it's just pure speculation. But look, if you're gonna keep, if you're gonna have your owner come out and say, "Hey, we want Michael Barrios to be a Joseph Martinez," like, come on, like that's a that's something where you're like, okay, like as a coach, do you really want that? Do you really want to be, you know, competing with a kind of budget roster most of your time? Sure, show us the most money, but they do invest. I mean, they brought in Fabian Castillo from Turkey, who used to play for SC Dallas. They have a solid team. They haven't been really good in Liga MX. I think they're currently in 15th place right now. But I mean, it's, it's a combination of things. Like this combination of wanting a new challenge. I think it's a combination of, hey, like, if I can leave, I can leave. Now, Armand, why was Oscar Pereira pushed out? No. I don't think there's any way Oscar Pereira was pushed out. Was, because if, but then, ahead. in that case, did the club push him out in the sense that because of what the club was doing in the lack of spending, uh, the lack of even fan interest, was he getting bored? Was he getting tired of just the lack of, you know, money for the squad that he said, you know what, hands up, I'm done, I got to get out of here? Like I said, I don't, wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, to be honest with you. I mean, you have to, you have to look at it. Dallas is a, one of two teams that doesn't have a million, which I find that almost insane. They've... They're reluctant to spend lots of money. They really want to push these homegrowns. And I think, quite frankly, I mean, part, part of it, I think, does have to do. I mean, many people say, hey, it's because he wants a new challenge, whatever. But, I mean, you have your USL team coming up. That You know, that team that everyone wants to talk about. Oh, wow, USL team will definitely complete FC Dallas's development thing as a whole. Uh, you have... Uh, and then he's like, I feel like this is a little bit of a surprise to the hunch. I think you're right, Stephen. I think there is some part of it where he was a little pushed out because look, thousands of money, and if you're not gonna spend money, man, like why, why should he stay? There's there's no point if he's gonna continue to get you know uh, chastised for hey, you're not playing the kids because uh, he wants to win. Like, 
I can see why Oscar would get really frustrated in that instance. Armand, we talk about Oscar Pereja being one of the best coaches in MLS, and now with his departure to Tijuana, should SC Dallas fans be um, wary of the next few years uh, with, uh, for FC Dallas under a new manager? Well, I'm, I'm, I've been having an impression. That's what you guys made. Oscar Pereja played up SC Dallas' team. They're not good individually. They're really not that good. He played Maxi Rudy as a nine-and-a-half <laughs> who, 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 who does that? Max already doesn't even play snare attack to me, but he still realized and, and got honestly the best out of that team. I think that team is overachieved year in and year out. Um, there isn't. It's it's not like this, that team is set up with superstars to win. It's not like you have a Tata Martino and Atlanta United where you have some of the best players in the league. These guys are not the best players in the league, but under a cohesive system, they come out and play really well. I don't think the future at the moment right now is going to be good for Ice the 2019 season. I think it's going to be a rough season for FC Dallas fans in the 2019, um, especially without without Oscar, especially depending on who they hire. I think it's a really going to be a really hmm, like a transition period. I don't think with that big name hire, so I don't expect it to be an immediate, you know, all right, 2019, we're going to go compete for playoffs. I think at that point you're going to have to think about an actual rebuilding year where they're going to be not making that red line, not making the playoffs. So give us some names. Have you thought about names that you could see replace Oscar Pereira? One guy who I would be very interested to see uh, is Luchi Gonzalez. He does all the academy stuff. He's on the uh, – he heads the academy at SC Dallas. And you have to remember Oscar Pereira he used to be the head of SC Dallas' academy before moving to Colorado and then moving to back to SC Dallas. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a candidate out there. He's younger. Um, I feel like he's kind of like that. That I guess is, a, is a sexy. I mean, not necessarily a sexy pick, but he's really he's not the conventional guy you'd pick. And I mean, if I'm going to see that, I go with him. You want to continue this model of if I'm the hunt thing as a hunt. You want to go this model of continuing your know, continuity with the homegrowns and you know continuing development cycle. Why not go for a guy who's again been involved in the academy? And, again, take the pressure off yourselves. Take the pressure off you for 2019. Say, hey, we're probably not going to make the playoffs in 2019. We're developing talent. And this is where you can blow up the squad and just start playing younger players. You can start playing Paxton Pomichols. You can start playing Brandon Cervantes. You can start me throwing in Jesus Ferreras. But it's not, but SL says, it's not going to be fun. Like, 2019 will not be fun. You're going to sit here and, sure, Oscar Perry has, has made uh, some bad, you know, tactical mistakes, some bad substitutions sometimes. Uh, sometimes plays are really just mm, eh, football. But you're really going to miss it, I, I think. Because, I, he, I, like I said, I think he played up the squad. And a guy like Lucci, he's going to be a great guy. Don't get me wrong, but he has a transition period, too. It's going to be his first year coaching. Armand, last question before we let you go. This is going to be kind of a softball question. I'm going to tee you up here. Um, hopefully we get a good response out of you. Of the established... Uh, available coaches in MLS. What is the worst case scenario in terms of uh, hires to replace uh, Oscar Pereja? Uh, so you really want me to say Caleb Porter? Or or, or, or Siggy Schmidt, yeah. Or Bruce Arena? <laughs> or Ziggy Schmidt or Bruce Arena? What about Arsene Look, Wenger? Honestly, <laughs> oh my God. Damn, you're all throwing out these, these names. Arsene Wenger, come on, man. Um, Caleb Porter would be interesting, but 
I wouldn't want him. Uh, as, as if I'm looking at the rest of the offside, I mean, sure the guys like had that sabbatical or whatever, but why not just keep it in in house, man? Caleb Porter, if you're Peter Hunt, I think Caleb Porter's gonna demand, hey, I want to spend some money. Let's spend some money, guys. We had Diego Valeri. I'm not gonna sit around while you're gonna pay. You're not gonna have a millionaire. We're gonna pay like Roland Lamont 800k. Which I mean, I don't know if his contract's even going to renew. So then you have no, like, you have not even close to a million on SEL's roster without Roland Lamont. Um, but Ziggy Schmidt, I mean, hey man, if you're trying to see what Jossie's artist at right back, I, I guess you can put Max Rudy at right back. I, I get, is, is that how it works? Something like that, <laughs> or Bruce Arena? We'll, we'll have Bruce Arena on, and uh, he can uh, tell. I was asking him every single time uh, uh, at press conferences how he let the U.S. Men's National Team miss the uh, World Cup. <laughs> hey, that's my audio for you. That's, that's my. That's what I told you in the group chat. <laughs> hey man, I don't remember what you said in the group chat. I yeah. had a long night. Yeah, you did. All right, it's our Mike of Fi. Obviously, he's one of the, the hosts on the show, but he's he's enjoying a little vacation time for Thanksgiving. Had a long, stressful season with FC Dallas. Well, we appreciate the time, Armand. Uh, we'll see you next episode. Right? You're not going to flake on us again. No, I won't be in Austin. <laughs> so, so I'll be. Uh... Oh, yeah, I'll be back in the Big D, so yeah, I won't flake. All right, there you go. Armand Kafai, follow him on Twitter, at Armand Kafai. But uh, is this a storyline that is not really talked about? I feel like this is a huge storyline because Oscar Pereira is obviously was at some point linked with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Armand and I both thought he would be an interesting fit for the team. He's also, you know, has had quite a bit of success with FC Dallas. Obviously, the last couple seasons he's, you know, the tail end of the season has kind of dropped off. But this is a big move in MLS. And, you know, FC Dallas being a 1.0, we know the struggles on and off the field. This is a huge bargaining chip that the club has, you know, when it goes out to buy players, come work with Oscar Pereira. Steven, I, th- I think this, this there, there's so, so many different storylines you can create off of this hire. You know, you have, uh, I mean, I- for one, we have an MLS coach going to a pretty sizable club in Liga MX in, in, in Tijuana. You also have, uh, I mean, is Pereja leaving Dallas? I mean, you can say it's spending and, and everything like that. But you can also say, uh, if this uh, Pereja is good enough for Tijuana, why isn't he good enough for the U.S. men's national team job? He didn't even get an interview out of it. So you, you have that. And like you said, too, he attracts talent to Dallas as well. There are so many different angles to the story that I, I don't think people are – are really talking about yes so uh, moving on here jake we got antoine latrin he's a u.s soccer writer in french for Locan opposite and host of culture soccer antoine welcome back to the show how we doing really good and you well actually um living in england i saw the u.s men national team yesterday um it wasn't great but it was good weekend for me (laughs) you were at the game no, but I'm at the pub, oh, and the pub, um, yes. I'm, I'm glad my friends knew that I'm into U.S. soccer, and it wasn't the best proof of um, the <laughs> development of soccer in the, in the country. <laughs> Wait, actually, before we even talk about MLS playoffs, what was the conversation at the bar? Like, what were they saying about U.S. soccer? Well, it's just, you know, they always hear about the hype and uh, Atlanta United and the Zlatan and the Rooney, and then they see that <laughs> really weak team. So I don't know. It wasn't great, but they know that they're we're rebuilding. They saw that the players were young, so it was interesting. Can Can you give us? I guess while we're on the subject here, I'd love to get you. I mean, how closely did you watch the match? 
Um, I didn't. I didn't watch it really. Well, I was more like talking with my friends than watching it because after after the two the two first goals, I was like, ah, there's nothing really to take. But I really liked uh, Tyler Adams at the end. Really, mm. really interesting. And Pulisic was was really uh, like was the best player on the field. Well, for for US. Do you get the sense that the U uh, is England really good or is US soccer? really bad at the moment it wasn't even the first team of england so <laughs> i don't know i don't want to be really pessimistic but it, they're just like they don't have any project the u.s it's really mm-hmm. sad um that after a year they still haven't they still don't know <laughs> what is going on but yeah now uh, england was all right but it wasn't their first team no you're you're right antoine it's it's weird because obviously you have a lot of mls players and I, let's just begin with that idea. What, what do we make? Uh, and Jake, I'll, I'll give this to you. Do we have a problem with the MLS players playing in these friendlies when they've got you know the conference finals coming up here next weekend? Um, <clears throat> yes and no. I think there is probably an understanding with some of these national teams that some of these players that are in MLS that are still. Uh, they're playing for an MLS Cup final. I think there's an understanding with the national team that, you know, hey, these guys maybe shouldn't see the field as much as somebody else who's either who's playing in a you know different league, whether that's in you know Mexico or Europe or wherever. So I, I don't have a problem with them being called in. Now, hey, if, if, if you know, Dave Sarakin wants to play Tyler Adams a full 90 minutes, well, then I think we got a problem there. Yeah, I agree with that, but... I just think it's uh, it's stupid. If if there's no real head coach and if just a friendly that doesn't have any consequence, you could just uh, rest the MLS player. Uh, it doesn't mm. really mind because it's not the it's not Craig Behalter. It's just Dave Sarakin. So why why didn't just like rest all the MLS players? I don't really get it. I mean, I agree with you, Antoine. I, for wasn't it the case last year where they didn't call call up any players for the U.S. men's national team and yeah. they left. The, the MLS based players that were still continuing in in the playoffs at home. Yeah, I think I think it was the case. I couldn't really remember, but yeah, there was a moment where they didn't call in the MLS players. Yeah, it, it, I think it's a it's a fascinating dynamic. Now, Antoine, um, a, a big talking point I've had a problem with is the fact that these playoffs are so long. I mean, you're talking <laughs> a, a span of thirty five something days here. I think it's even forty something depending on the year, but. This weird international break just abrupts, you know, brings everything to an abrupt halt. And the momentum you had with the playoffs, the games, how do how do you expect these clubs to come back next weekend when you have Portland, KC, and Atlanta, and Red Bulls playing? Well, I guess they will come back prepared. I'm not sure yet, but um, it would benefit some clubs more than others, I think, um, like... For example, the fact that Seattle had to play just after um, their first game in Portland where they had injured uh, injuries was um, really bad luck for them. And I think some some clubs, like for Kansas City, it would be good to have a bit of time um, to prepare against Portland. And for Portland, they don't have that dynamic. Um, so I think it advantages some clubs more than others. But I don't blame the MLS because... Uh, sorry, I don't blame MLS um, because they couldn't do otherwise. I mean... They couldn't just play during the international break, in my opinion. Antoine, can you? I guess let's let's dive into playoff talk here. Can you give us your thoughts just on these conference finals matchups? I mean, <laughs> who who do you like? Who don't you like? Who do you see moving on? Any surprises from the previous round as we um, well, as we my look bro- towards the fo- conference finals? 
My bracket was um, Seattle and DC United in final. <laughs> hey, that's what I so, had. Oh well, it, it didn't go. Nope. <laughs> um, obviously, I was. Uh, I'm a Sounder fan, so I was really disappointed. But it was a beautiful match against the, the Timbers, um, and I must say the Timbers really surprised me. Um, but I still think Kansas City has the edge. Uh, they're a really, really good team, really organized. And on the other side, I think um, Atlanta Red Bull is kind of final. I, it's not like a surprise to say that. I think everyone kind of thinks the same. But these two teams such in a good form. They play such a beautiful football. I mean, that the 3-0 against Columbus was such a surprise for me. Um, I, did, I genuinely thought the Red Bulls wouldn't go through. Um, so yeah, no, really two beautiful matches. I really, I can't wait to see uh, Atlanta Red Bull. It's going to be amazing. And I, I think Atlanta has the edge. Um, they've been playing incredibly well. I don't know what you think, but Atlanta for me will probably be the next champion. You think Atlanta? I don't know. Armand, uh, obviously is not on the show, but his big talking points, how good Red Bulls have been and how underrated they have. Actually, the funny thing is I was, uh, doing some stuff for the show and going through some older clips and, this was at the MLS midpoint, and Jake, you saw the clip. Armand was all about the Red Bulls then. So Armand's been on the Red Bulls forever, so nobody can call him out for you know this hot take last minute. Mm. Um, but I, Atlanta, Antoine, don't you fear that you know if the game gets close and it suddenly becomes bunker ball or it becomes very defensive, that Atlanta don't have the capabilities to go out there and to do what is necessary to win or grind out a one nail result. Yeah, that is a, that is a fair point, but I just feel like I, I was really into the Red Bulls until the match against Columbus when they lost one nail. And I thought at that time that, that they were like not really bad, but they could actually be uh, fought against and there were tactics that could be better in place. I mean, what, what Berato did in the first game was quite good. And, um, if you have someone that can run fast, um, and like if the Red Bulls like to press really high, if you got some someone that could get in behind, and I mean I think Joseph Martin is cool. Amiron could deliver some, and, and Nagby also sometimes delivers some great passes through the defense. And I think Atlanta could take advantage of that, but it's going to be a close call. Antoine, I found it interesting that you um, kind of earmarked Kansas City as the team to beat right now in the in the West. Um, are you not at all concerned about how with how that their back line played against Real Salt Lake and, and like to nearly blowing that uh, a fixture? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, it wasn't the best game they had, but I, on the other side, I don't know Portland or Cub. I don't. I never saw Portland as like the best team in the West. Really, I was surprised they passed against um, Seattle and Kansas City. Are just really stable, and uh, they could make a few mistakes. But Portland's defense isn't that great. What do you think? I, I think it's better than Kansas City. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess recency bias, it, it, it to me, it, it just looks like Kansas City really struggled to deal with the Real Salt Lake team that, for one, I, I'm not sure if you've been listening recently, but I, for some reason, anytime I say some team's going to lose or they're not going <laughs> to advance very far, they end up winning and go in advancing beyond what I think. So I, I didn't think very highly of Real Salt Lake coming into the playoffs. And when, you know, they're able to you know, almost get a result on the road in a, in a do or die match. I think that is somewhat concerning if you are an SKC game on on the flip side of the coin, I thought a a team like the uh, Portland Timbers in that second leg of the Seattle um, 
playoff matchup. I thought they showed a lot of resolve and a lot of grit and determination to, um, you know, every time Seattle punched them in the mouth, they punched right back and they, they got back up. And I mean, case in point, most of the team didn't even know that road goals was the uh, tiebreaker (laughs) in extra time. So you have the Timbers celebrating like, like they won after, um, after extra time. And, you know, that's kind of got to be a gut punch when you realize, oh no, we have to go to PKs. This isn't over yet. And they were able to, you know, go to move on to PKs and, and, we're able to get a win. So to, to me, I look at Portland as a team that, you know, they well coached and I, I think they can, I think they can get a, you know, they, they can survive in advance against uh, SKC. I just think the break really uh, advantage SKC more because SK, I mean, Peter Vim is, we know how he works and he probably will prepare his team to face every like eventuality that could come up. Um, and Portland were really good against Seattle. They still got scored like three times. Um, I mean, that's not something we have to like. We have to remember that uh, you get three goals um, against you. I mean, it's not the proof of a well a team that defends really well. Um, and Kansas, like once they got through RSL in the second matchup, the the third four goal, like, they seem just totally in control. And I, I mean, I it might not happen, but I feel like they could be well in control um, at Portland. Yeah, I I do wonder. Obviously, I think going into the season, Sporting KC's one of the big needs was how were they going to score goals? Uh, and they they provided a lot of goals this season. In you know, in the Western Conference, they were they were third for the most amount of goals afforded, afforded, and uh, they had a really good defensive record. And just based on goals allowed, they're the second best. And then if you do goal differential, uh. Sporting KC sits atop of the Western Conference by a mile. And in in the Eastern Conference, it's Red Bulls and Atlanta with the highest goal differential, except Atlanta has been pretty leaky of recent. Red Bulls haven't scored as much as Atlanta, but they hold a much better defensive shape. So the question is, if the games open up, do we, you know, do, do those favor, say, the Atlantas and the Sporting KCs? Or if the games become very narrow and become a lot tighter does that you know is that better for the red bulls maybe uh portland i I don't know how how we judge that between portland and sporting kc but atlanta and red bulls you do see a great divide i mean look at the score lines atlanta have won by it was three two like they've won by multiple goals they didn't Mm -hmm. i think i was just looking at the list and i just glanced at it so i might be completely wrong but there weren't many one nail wins for atlanta this past season no, yeah, that's fair, um, and I think you're right. Uh, if if Newton, I mean, if they can get, if they can get it, like, in control of the match, they're going to be absolutely. Um, they they can't win, but also like the fact that the two matches are only five days apart, that means I mean Atlanta doesn't really rotate their player that much. So if the players really um, fight uh, strongly in the first game, they will be totally exhausted just five days later. I'm not sure they have the time to totally recover, and. I don't know. I felt like that actually could advantage New York Rebels. I didn't check the dates, but now I see it. Um, same thing for Portland Sporting KC. It's just like five days later. I don't know between Portland and Sporting who has the biggest and the deepest bench. Um, but I feel like Portland had a couple of number nines that could play uh, if ABC just gets injured or if it's too tired after the first game. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how the coach like deals with that. Antoine, I want to I want to get your thoughts here on the uh, Oscar Pereja news, but real quick, 
Um, what are your predictions for the two conference finals matches? And then uh, give us your MLS Cup winner. I I hate predictions. <laughs> um, I uh, I actually have no idea. I would yeah. say like first game maybe like two nil Atlanta, then second game one nil New York. So Atlanta passes through. And uh, in the West, um, nil nil first game and two one. Second game, I'm I'm literally I've I didn't feel about that before the, the show, so I'm just making that up now. Um, and then Atlanta, oh actually, ah, Atlanta wins. Yeah, I'm gonna say that. I'm not. They play, they would play at home, so to be fair, that's a, that's a big advantage. So I'll say Atlanta wins. Um, and that'd be great to be fair. I, actually, like just to talk about Atlanta quickly, I think it's gonna be really interesting if they win and then lose Amiron and Martinez, that's the Martino, maybe Julian Gressel. Uh, I mean, when you win after like two years of existence. And then everyone leaves. I don't. I really wonder what they're going to be next year. Even if they don't win, losing like Tata Martino, Martinez, and Miron Cresol is going to be really hard for them. Don't you? Don't you? Though have at least some sort of faith in the front office to go out there and mm. replace the players. I mean, we're not talking like, for example, we'll, well, we're going to touch on FC Dallas's loss of Oscar Pereira, but. If Tata Martino goes and you have Oscar Pereira, you're putting all your money on Atlanta to go out there getting a big name established manager and then replacing those players with the funds that they get in. I mean, you know, this is completely speculation, but I honestly would not be surprised if Atlanta go get somebody like Arsene Wenger to replace Tata Martino. FC Dallas, they could pull a college coach and none of us would be surprised. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, I think for Tata Martino, when he leaves, I still think it would be a good pick, but I heard rumors about uh, Scalotto, the, the coach of uh, Boca Junior, and I think that actually would be a better pick because like, players, wanna, I think they also came to Atlanta because they were coached by Tata Martino, so you need someone that people could rely. I know Wenger is yes. a big name, but is he the future of football? Is he like, I don't know, <laughs> if he can actually... He's good with youth, to be fair, so mm-hmm. I'll give him that, but... I think a, lot, a coach that comes from South America could be really useful. No, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. Now, what, what's your take with Oscar Pereira leaving for Club Tijuana? Do you, uh, Armand, we had him on, you know, earlier in the show. There, what's your take on everything here? Well, I think it's a proof that MLS can actually export. Well, it's actually another proof that MLS can export its co- their coach, and that's actually great because we had Patrick Vieira, we had, um, oh man. I just forgot his name. Um, Chris Asma, Chris Asma, um, Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh. Sorry, I don't know why you just live. Um, so yeah, we have Patrick Kovia, Jesse Marsh, and Oscar Pareja. If he makes a, if he makes a good play in Liga MX, it could be great for MLS and for uh, the dynasty of coaches that could actually they can coach in MLS and somewhere else. But it's going to be tough for Dallas. Um, apparently, I was speaking with the French account of Dallas that we uh, talked about the last time I went on the show. Um, and he told me someone from the inside could be the solution, like um, one of Pareja, Pareja um, that one of the people that, one of the persons, sorry, that coached with Pareja. And that would be actually a good idea, I think. Um, and I heard the name of Caleb uh, Porter coming in the discussion. Um, he's got a bad past with uh, with young players, so I'm not sure that'd be the greatest idea. I would see him actually in LA Galaxy. But yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see how... How the, what the future holds for uh, for Dallas. Well, Antoine, thank you so much um, for the time today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find your work and where we can find you on Twitter and, and anything else you'd want to plug away. 
Uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Antoine Latran. And just go on my Twitter. You have all my work there uh, that you can just see and retweet and share and everything. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Well, I, you know, Antoine, you just said your name. I'm, I'm sorry I mispronounced it. It's Latin, uh, Antoine Latran, uh, not Tran. <laughs> you should have corrected me. Yeah. Well, it's complicated, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, you make me look bad. Somebody who does speak French, I need to know at least the proper pronunciation. It's not, well, good it's not easy. French is the hardest language. You think hard? Was English hard to learn? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a It's just not the same. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's, it's a different story. But hey, we appreciate it, Antoine, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. See you later. You know, the MLS playoffs, it's hard to talk about them. They, I don't know why, Jake, but it's hard to talk about the matchup on the field because it's so unpredictable. It, it, it genuinely is. And I think it makes it difficult because you have over two legs and we know the home and way splits for MLS. Now, in the playoffs, it seems like the away team, you know, typically has the advantage. We see it in the opening rounds here the last several years. Especially that, I guess, wild card game and the one game playoff. It's like the road team has this huge advantage. And how many road teams won this year? Columbus at DCU, RSL at LAFC, Portland at FC Dallas. You know, uh, what was the fourth game I'm missing? NYCFC hosting Philly at NYCFC winning. There it is. But yeah, it's, it's odd. No, it definitely is. It's not like the other American sports when it comes to playoff matches. It's like you if you had the Patriots playing the Steelers and like the AFC Championship game and the Steelers were on the road, they wouldn't all of a sudden change their playing style because, oh, we're on the road and we got to gotta make sure we run the ball 70% of the time instead of, you know, throwing the ball like we normally do. So there's definitely, I mean, with these road teams, the, the, the style of play changes and it's, it, it, it can lend itself or to you know having the game be a little bit more unpredictable. No doubt, and I think it's an unpredictability of a fascinating, fun, wild game where you have score lines. You know, the the most I think famous matchup would be Toronto, Montreal, where you had I don't know what the final aggregate was like seven five. Maybe I'm completely drawing a blank there. Or you can get really sloppy one nil. Uh, you know, through the two legs, and it's just the most boring, mundane thing you could possibly watch on television. Nap football, you know? Definitely nap football, Monka Five's favorite. No, I agree. that That's kind of what the playoffs are all about, though. As fans, we want a little bit of unpredictability. It it, it, it kind of gets boring when you know the what the result's going to be or who's going to advance and who's going to be going home. Yes, okay, let's get to our next guest. It is Doug McIntyre. We'll be right back. Joining us now on the show is reporter and U.S. men's national team insider for Yahoo Sports. It's Doug McIntyre. You can follow Doug on Twitter at by Doug McIntyre. Doug, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Doug, let's jump right in. And this U.S. men's national team coaching search is at day 400 plus. I forget what exactly day it is, but 
are we getting somewhere closer? I, the rumor is supposedly, you know, Burhalter being the front runner, but are we just waiting to get through these international games and then U.S. soccer will announce their man or woman, whoever it is? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so, guys. Um, I do think it's going to be Greg Burhalter. There's absolutely no reason to think it's not at this point based on the reporting I've done, the reporting my, my colleagues have done. So, um, certainly seems like Berhalter is the guy, and and I think that it was always unlikely that we were going to get an announcement while the team is is over in Europe. Just from a logistical point of view, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. And um, with Thanksgiving come up coming up next week, I wouldn't expect it at the end of next week. Um, U.S. plays against Italy on Tuesday, um, and then Thanksgiving is obviously on Thursday. So I think realistically, the earliest we could see an announcement would be the following week. Uh, I believe that's the week of the November twenty sixth. But it wouldn't surprise me if it even stretched into the first week of December. But I do think uh, by the time MLS Cup rolls around on December 8th, um, there will be a new U.S. coach in place. And again, I think that's going to be Greg Berhalter. So I think we're getting close. Finally. Doug, Doug, why did it take this long? Do you, do you have any inclina- any inside information on why why it took over a year for u.s soccer to land on greg berhalter doesn't that seem a little ridiculous to to take that to take over 400 days to name an mls coach as the head man of u.s soccer yeah i mean i I don't disagree i I think you're right i think that's a valid criticism of u.s soccer i've said this before um going back to this summer there's a there's a number of practical reasons and people can you know agree or not but there were a bunch of practical reasons why this couldn't be done earlier and you know if you want to say well why did Burhalter even coach the crew in 2018? He could have been hired last off season and gotten in already. Well, the question is who would have made that decision at the time? U uh, S soccer was obviously thrown into turmoil when the, when the, the U S team didn't qualify for the world cup. And we saw some repercussions um, because of that happening. I mean, first and foremost was Sunil Galati, the president of U S soccer deciding not to run again. So I don't think anybody wanted Sunil to be picking the next coach on his way out the door. I think everyone that follows U.S. soccer could agree that that's not a good idea, especially after, you know, it was Sunil's decision to hire Jurgen Klinsman. It was Sunil's decision along with Dan Flynn and the U.S. soccer board to retain Klinsman, to re-sign him before the 2014 World Cup even happened to another four-year uh, contract extension. And they held on to him too long. They probably should have gotten rid of Jurgen earlier than they did. And, and the result was that, you know, they didn't qualify for the world cup in the end. Um, obviously can't lay that all at the feet of Klinsman. Bruce Arena had eight games out of 10 in the hex to, to get the job done, but wasn't able to dig the team out of the hole of losing the first two games in the hex. So um, I think there was a lot of things that happened after that. So you have a presidential election that's contested. Um, that vote didn't come down until February when uh, Carlos Cadero took over as the president of U.S. soccer. And the first priority at that point with the next World Cup four and a half years away was not uh, to name a coach for the national team. It was uh, to get the uh, bid for the, the 2026 World Cup, the joint bids between the United States, Canada and Mexico um, to, to secure that. I think, uh, you know, that was the right decision. I think that is something that um, is going to be an important part of uh, the legacy of U.S. soccer going forward. Um, a great way, the best way, I think, to, to take soccer in the United States to the next level um, to have that tournament. I think that's going to be a game changer. It's going to change the sport uh, in North America for, for many, many years to come. 
So after that, then <laughs> there was a, a, a U.S. men's national team GM search. So before the, the coach was hired, they, they wanted to pick a GM. That process took probably longer than it needed to. It wasn't ideal. Ernie Stewart, the guy they settled on, was under contract with the Philadelphia Union. So even when they decided that he was their guy uh, and they hired him, um, he wasn't able to start immediately. Uh, he didn't start until August 1st, which was almost two months after it was announced that he was going to be taking over in that role. So those are some of the practical reasons why it's taken that long. I mean, you can argue that uh, it shouldn't have taken from August 1st to December, whatever, late December, uh, late November, early December, when we're anticipating this announcement. Um, you know, that's, I think that's fair. And the, the, the part for me, more than the length that it's taken to, to actually settle on someone, and again, certainly seems like Burhalter is that guy, is um, – there, there's an awful lot of candidates that I think everyone would have thought were, were obvious candidates that not only were not formally interviewed for this position, um, but were not contacted at all, even informally, you know, to to see what their interests would be, to to hear their thoughts on what should happen with the U.S. national team going forward. So that to me is a bit concerning. U.S. soccer is, you know, they're not confirming anything when we ask. Um, and, and I think that's problematic. And I've, I've said to, to the folks at U.S. Soccer, look, when announcements made, we need to have some, some idea of how this search went down. Um, the excuse uh, by Ernie Stewart or the reason by Ernie Stewart, uh, the reason Ernie Stewart's given for not naming names is during the process is, well, some of these guys are in jobs. We're not going to say who we've interviewed till the process is over. When it is over, I would certainly hope that we have more clarity on how extensive a search this is, who exactly was interviewed, uh, how many candidates, if not names, uh, you know, as much information as possible. And if, and if we don't get satisfying answers for those things, for those questions, I think that it's, it's certainly reasonable to criticize U.S. soccer um, at that point to say, hey, you guys took an awful long time to do this. And you said there's all these reasons and, and that's understandable. But, you know, given the amount of time you had, if, if you didn't speak to every possible person that you could speak to, um, but, you know, whether it's a formal interview or not, just pick up the phone, call, call some of these folks. Um, I think that's a problem. And, um, and, and I, unfortunately, I think that's the way it's gone down. And until we hear otherwise, there's no reason to think that, that there has been a more extensive search. Um, when, when you have uh, folks on record like Peter Vermees, Greg Vanny, Bob Bradley, I mean, you can, the list goes on of, of people that have not been contacted at all, have not been interviewed. Dave Sarakin, the interim coach, has not been given a formal interview tab. Ramos, the under-20 coach not formally interviewed. So I want to know who's been interviewed besides Greg Barhalter. And right now I don't have an answer. Now, Doug, I mean, that was super insightful. I think you put out a wonderful context into what's happened in U.S. soccer over the last year. And I know there's a lot of frustration and that frustration on this show through our the, our listeners and just everyone else in U.S. soccer is, is very rightfully, I think, uh, frustration. It, it's not out of, yep. you know, it's not just sports fans being sports fans i think there's proper frustration in this global sport but why greg burhalter over any of other these names even if mls or even the names in europe i mean you you've had names yeah. like you know sam allardyce and i seen i think i've seen an actual report where arson Wenger had you know talked about the u.s men's national team or david Moyes yeah. supposedly wanted the job but why did why is u.s soccer going over you know going to burhalter over anybody else well, I think there's a, probably a few reasons. Um, I, I, you know, we can all have our opinions on who the best person to coach the U.S. men's national team is, and whether it should be an American, whether it should be someone from outside. 
Um, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Pep Guardiola is not walking through that door. Neither is Jose Mourinho. Um, this is not a job that the very best managers in the world are going to have much interest in. That's just the reality of the situation. So when you compare a guy like Berhalter to, say, Sam Allardyce, you probably ask, and I'm sure Ernie Stewart would say, well, what does Sam Allardyce know about, about the sport in the U.S.? It's different. It's different. It just is. It's, it's you know, MLS is, a, is different than, than other leagues, the way – it's operated. I think you would want to have a candidate that's familiar with the player pool. I don't know how much Ar- Arsene Wenger knows about the U.S. player pool, and certainly you would think that some of these coaches, you know, they're, they're top professionals. They could get up to speed pretty quickly. But I think there was a desire to pick somebody that is familiar with the player pool, is familiar with MLS, is familiar with soccer over, overseas and how things work over there. And Burhalter, I mean, Burhalter's qualified. He, he checks a lot of boxes, as a lot of other people do as well. But this is a guy that's played and coached in Europe. There's not too many guys uh, that have played and coached in Europe and in MLS um, out there. Um, and he's he certainly, you know, he's shown in the five years he's been with the Columbus crew that he's able to, you know, have a team that has a specific style. Um, that team's been relatively successful given the resources available. It's not Atlanta. It's not LAFC or Seattle where they're, they're spending millions upon millions on, on designated players. I mean, they've never had a player like Zlatan uh, Ibrahimovic or Wayne Rooney at their disposal. So, you know, I don't think the question is whether Greg Berhalter is not qualified or not. I think he is qualified. He is. He's, he, this is a guy that played for the national team for a number of years. Everyone that speaks about him speaks highly of him. Um, and I, you know, I listen to, you know, again, we can have our opinions, but I look at people you know, I, as a reporter, I like to talk to people that know more than I do. And I, I, two conversations come to mind. I spoke to Brad Friedel and Steve Terundolo. These are arguably the two most decorated American players to ever play in Europe. Um, Brad Friedel still has the record for a consecutive appearance in the Premier League. I don't know that that record will ever be beaten. It's ridiculous. Something three, 400 games. Steve Trendolo, 15 years uh, with Hanover in the, in the Bundesliga, uh, Bundesliga in Germany. Both tr- terrific servants for the U.S. men's national team uh, over the years. And both of those guys in talking to them said, you know, I think it probably should be an American guy just because it's it's the so- soccer in the United States is unique. It's not like anywhere else. And you don't want someone, you know, certainly someone can get up to speed, but you don't want someone coming in and having to figure out how MLS works. That doesn't make a lot of sense. There's qualified candidates and, and you know, both those guys mentioned, um, you know, other guys that would be qualified. I think Peter Vermees certainly would have been a, uh, a qualified candidate. Again, I think it's crazy if U.S. soccer hasn't had a formal conversation with him. Um, and, and, and there's certainly lots of other guys as well that would have, would have checked those boxes. Uh, you know, guys like Tata Martino or, or um, Juan Carlos Osario, um, guys that were that, that I think would bring some perspective um, from having coached and worked outside the United States, but also in it. I mean, Tata obviously has coached Atlanta for the last couple of years. Uh, Juan Carlos Osario, former coach of the Mexican national team, um, coached in MLS and has a lot of ties to the United States. So, you know, I think those sorts of candidates made more sense than than someone like Arsene Wenger or, or, or Sam Allardyce or David Moyes. Um, but uh, I don't think I don't think you can argue that, that Greg Berhalter's not qualified. I, I just, you know, again, I think that that, that you want to make sure you're leaving no stone un, unturned. And unfortunately, if those answers that we get, whenever Greg Berhalter is announced, aren't satisfying. That's going to be a check against Burhalter through no fault of his, of his own. And I find that unfortunate because 
if he's the guy, he should come in with the support of everyone. Everyone should say, look, this is, this is why we picked him. This is why he's the best guy. And if there's questions saying, hey, maybe you, you, know, you don't know if he was the right person or not because you didn't talk to everybody, that's really unfair to him. So, uh, again, I, I, I really hope those answers are, are satisfying. But until we, we get them, um, you know, the, the jury's going to remain out. Doug, I wanted to run a quote by you from Christian Pulisic following the 3-0 defeat to England earlier this week. Uh, yeah. Pulisic, when questioned after the match, said, It's tough. Dave's doing what he can. Obviously, he wants to win these games, too, just like we do. But, yeah, it's going to help a lot once we get a permanent head coach moving forward. A guy with a real plan, a style of how we want to play, like I said before. And, yeah, it's going to help us a lot. Yep. Are, yeah, are, 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 are the players growing frustrated? I think so. I mean, I'm the one that asked that question, and certainly they were frustrated after after losing three three nothing to England. Um, I think so. I mean, I, I wrote a couple months ago that you know, in a in a funny way, by accident, Dave Sarkin's been uh, a good guy to welcome in this new generation of young talent um, for for a lot of reasons. I think if it was a if there was a permanent coach right away, they they might not have been as comfortable, might not have been able to play as freely. Um, as, as they, they have been able the integration might not have been quite as smooth. And again, complete accident. The only reason Dave Sarkin was there is because he was already under contract um, as Bruce Arena's former assistant when Arena resigned in the wake of the qualifying failure. Um, and and I, I think he has done a good job. But, you know, even when he was named uh, as the interim coach, it was for one game originally for that Portugal game, the first game last November after they failed to qualify. And he's been extended a couple times since then, or at least once since then. So it's not like U.S. soccer said, all right, Dave, you have a year uh, with this with this team before we name a permanent manager and, you know, develop some sort of plan. He hasn't even had uh, any guarantee or any any reason to, to even think long-term and try to implement anything, uh, you know, that would be sort of uniform and, 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 and or, you know, develop a style of play or anything like that. He's basically just been a placeholder. And... I think that you saw some of the results earlier this year. There, there were some fairly decent performances. You look at, uh, you know, you look at the draw in France. I think that's an obvious one right before the World Cup. That's against a full strength French team. You even look at a game like like the Colombia match where the U.S. was thoroughly outplayed in that match. But there were some positive moments. They scored two goals against a very good team. Again, that was almost a full strength uh, Colombian side. Um, and for a, you know, they had a, a lead in the second half of that match. Um, they lost deservedly so, but you know that's not a result that you would be crazy to expect if it was a full strength U.S. team, and this hasn't been. It's been an under 24 team. Christian Pulisic has basically not been on the squad for a year. This was only his second match, the match against England, in the last 13 months. Um, so you look at that and say, you know what? All things considered, not terrible, not terrible. But I think now, as we we get into more than a year with an interim coach, the 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 lack of direction is manifesting itself on the field. Certainly did in that game against England. The players want to know where they're going to, uh, where they're going, where they're they're going to be getting the message from, what the message is, who they need to impress. They're ready to get on with it. It's been dragged out too long. There needs to be a new manager in place. I think there are, there is going to be one uh, starting in January. But it's clear that these players are eager for a, a new voice, some closure, some direction. They want to know what's going to happen, like everyone else. 
uh, does, and 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 I think that we saw that in, in the England game. I mean, I'm, I was surprised they didn't, uh, with the number of top quality opponents the U.S. has played this year: Brazil, Colombia, uh, you know, France. They're they're going to play England on Tuesday. Uh, sorry, they're going to play Italy on Tuesday. They just played England. I was surprised they didn't have a, a match like that where really they just didn't play well at all and were really played off the field and dominated from start to finish. Um, and it finally happened against England, and could certainly happen against an opponent with the quality of Italy on Tuesday. And it's, um, you know, Dave, 